I'll write a nice future where everything works out. Hello, you are on the terrace. This is the companion podcast to Night Terrace, a time travel comedy for your ears. I'm Vaya Pashos. I'm night terrorized, which is just that I'm really into the show. Oh, phew. <laughs> I'm also Erinsborough enabled because I watch a lot of Neighbours, which is why I'm just so here for Jackie Woodburn's performance as Dr. Anastasia Black. In this episode of On the Terrace, we are going behind the scenes of Series 2, Episode 3, A Verb of Nouns, written by John Richards, and it co-stars Ben McKenzie as Eddie Jones, who is also here to have a chinwag. Hey, Ben. Hey, how's it going? Great. Uh, I'm, I, I hope you weren't really terrorised. I don't know what you're going to say. This is exciting. Uh, well, I've, there's only so many words that sound like terrorists. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, we, did, we were making a pun on purpose. So. Yeah. Mm. I was happy to go with terrorist for the whole season, but you looked alarmed. So <laughs> Look, I was alert, but not alarmed. <laughs> now, in this episode, A Verb of Nouns, which took me far too long to realise was a play on Game of Thrones titles. <laughs> yes. Look. I don't think we're the first ones to make this joke, but all the books in the series, if you've, if you've ever seen them, they're all things like a Game of Thrones, a Feast of Crows, a Dance of Dragons. Yeah. Like, they're, yeah, you know, a verb of nouns. Yes, great. John Richards. I'm really bad at titles, it turns out. I'm very bad at titles. Uh, my, you know, my big projects between before this were things like Outland and Not of the Earth. So left to my own devices, I probably would have called it Star Wars A New Hope. And so I'm always relying on other people to come up with good titles. <laughs> And it's funny because I think a verb announced doesn't even make sense. I think even for the things we're parroting, it's not quite right. And I remember David Ashton asking what the real title was going to be quite late in the day. <laughs> well, our travelling trio has turned up in a world that operates a bit like, I want to say, Tudor England. There's a menacing monarch. Um, her subjects are plotting to overthrow her. And there's a scribe who isn't just telling the story but creating the story ultimately because he's the only mm. one who can tell when political upheaval will recur. Mm. Eddie is kidnapped and then released by the League of Defiance. Anastasia discovers she's the evil queen's voice double and also the only person who isn't intimidated by the queen. Eddie and Sue discover another terrace house at the centre of the royal castle. And as the castle falls under siege, the scribe leads our heroes back to safety to Night Terrace while he stays on to continue forecasting slash orchestrating the repetition of history. Did I get that? Yeah, you got it. You <laughs> nailed it. It's Game of Thrones in in flavor. It this is little one. It is, but it's a bit. It's you know. I think the parody in it is is broader than that. I certainly think that's what John had in mind. I, I love the title. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, and I think it's because it does for me. It's the whole like oh blah blah blah. It's like oh, you know, I don't care about your nonsense. I don't want your orcs. I am not interested. <laughs> so the fact that I read it in New Zealand is quite funny to be in. Well, was literally a land of orcs where I wrote it. An orc land, if you will. <laughs> I didn't realise John had this disdain for the fantasy epic. Oh, look, he's got a disdain for a lot of things, if I'm honest, but in a, in a fun way, you know. Because sometimes you can assume that, you know, if, you, if you're a consumer of nerd culture, then you should be across oh, all of it. Yeah, look, this is, I think this is a common misconception. It's kind of like movie scientists are assumed to know about every branch of science 
uh, people often think nerds are into all nerd culture, but it's not. It's not true. You know, not, we're not all into everything. I wasn't into Star Trek for a very long time. It took me ages to come around. And I think that's why Game of Thrones had such widespread appeal. Like it was mainstream. It 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 was. It allowed it the normals to dip into this. The, the fantasy sci-fi world. Yeah, and I think that's because, I mean, it, it is, it's a soap opera, but with dragons and magic and, like, people getting stabbed. And, of course, there was the, you know, the mandatory, you know, HBO naked people quota. So there was there was a lot that made it popular that wasn't really about the fantasy. And but- the, the gore. And I do applaud the reference in this episode to the lavender wedding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He has been silent since the events of the Lavender Wedding, when all the guests had their tongues cut out by the crazed members of the avenging cult of Peed. That sounds awful. Why do you call it the Lavender Wedding? Oh, it took place in a lavender field. It was really lovely, right up until the carnage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought that was that was quite fun. I think John wrote that, and I, look, I'm sure he'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't really know what the Red Wedding is. <laughs> Um, I got spoiled. Can I tell you a story about the Red of Wedding? Course. I got spoiled for it. I was doing a gig where I was telling a story, a science story, and the MC. This was like the the Monday after Ooh. it had been on in the US. So even if you were pirating it, you probably hadn't seen it yet. And I, he he spoiled it on stage. No. Just before introducing me. So it wasn't like I could go in the other room and not listen to what he was saying. He was the MC, And I was like, what? And that's in the hours after. I'm nervous now and it's years later. Yeah. I oh, look, to be fair to him, I think it was like a day after. But still, that's way too soon, particularly when it, you know, it wasn't available easily in Australia yeah. at the time. Now, we open with our scribe's transcription at the Royal Castle on St. Kylie's Eve, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> yeah. And we have... An amazing piece of casting, Jackie Woodburn, who's typically our hero, is voicing the tyrannical queen because they are voice doppelgangers. We stan. (laughs) They (laughs) are voice doubles, Anastasia and the queen, and later on have some glorious scenes together. Yes. Did Jackie do this all at once in a conversation with herself or did she record the lines separately? Do you know, I... I think I think it was a bit of both. I think we did get her to do each part separately and someone else read it. But I think there were parts that she just read it all herself and talked to herself. And you mentioned in a previous podcast that you were looking at other ways to play around with using Jackie's talents this series. Mm. Is this one of those moments? Well, this is we specifically asked her, you know, what what would you like to do in this season? You know, if you're going to if you're going to be if you're going to come back, we'd love to have you back, please. Like we never took it as granted that she would come back, but but she had a good time and we wanted to say to her, "Well, what do you want to do? Like you you only ever get to play Susan Kennedy on Neighbors. We can write whatever you want. What do you want?" And she's like, "I quite like to be evil." Why do you disturb me in my chambers? I have retired here to consume these live hamsters and do not wish to be disturbed. I love how they struggle in the mouth. Excellent. It it was a real treat for the long-term Neighbours viewer in me. Every now and then in soap they can play with a bit of magical realism like when Susan gets amnesia and she's transported back to the 1960s so she's a 16-year-old hippie. I beg your pardon? Oh, yeah. Actual plot. Okay. I need to see that. But it's only very rare so this is a gem of a performance to have. Yeah. And look, it was quite – I think it's actually a challenge for her because – 
she is playing this other character who's got to be deliciously evil. But also, the gag rests on the fact that their voices sound the same, so she can't change her voice too much. Yes. So she's really doing it all through the emotion and the, the... I mean, there's a little bit of... You know, she makes her more upper class uh, and a bit more... There's a there's a little bit of Queenie from Blackadder in there, I think, because she's just a little bit girly as well at points. Like, But like... Like nasty bully kind of girly, I think that you know when she's eating the hamsters and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a perfect balance between similarity, similarity and difference, mm. which is why she is the queen in more ways than one. Now we also find out that the Guild of Defiance is plotting to overthrow the queen. Is that Lee Zechariah as the traitor we hear at the beginning? He, uh, he is not the traitor at the beginning. That's Rob Lloyd. Okay, uh, but he is the leader of the Guild of Defiance right. later on. Yes. And we find out the trade is going to be thrown to the Beast of Sevdalis, and yes. which, of course, no one is actually afraid of. It's 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 essentially a puppy dog-esque monster. It's also really quite a loving parody of all the rubbish Doctor Who monsters from the 70s. <laughs> I think in particular John probably had in mind uh, Agador, which is the Beast of Peladon from a couple of John Pertwee-era serials where they go back to the same planet at different points in its history, but they have this monster that is part of the royal family. So I think that's that's the main inspiration. But yeah, there's there's no end of crappy beasts. <laughs> Not just in Doctor Who, of course, in all kinds of, you know, low budget productions. Doctor, there's something in here with us. Something alive. Yes, I know. I don't move, sir. It gives us this Excellent moment where we hear the downfall of the Queen, her meltdown, mm. when she works out that no one's actually afraid of her or her threatening monster. Yes. Um, and then the contrast of Anastasia, like, babying the dog in, yeah. <laughs> in a cutesy voice. I mean, how much does Susan have to do with uh, Bouncer at any point? Oh, they, didn't they only have their own dog at one point? They had, au- they had Audrey, rest in peace, young Audrey. Oh, that's right. Uh, and then they had a galah called Dahl. And, but the... The animals were all Carl's thing. Oh, Susan, Susan doesn't muck around not, with the animals. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad we gave Jackie a chance to yeah. get some animal action in. We have our trio walking through the wilderness and Anastasia's just trying to enjoy this moment of peace. Yeah, and, you know, I think I alluded to this in a previous episode. We were trying to toy with the idea that the housemates are now thinking about what's next for us. And having seen a glimpse of what, you know, is presumably their future in the previous episode... They are thinking about, well, where do we end up? Because the house seems to end up stuck in a ship, mm. powering it, flying through space. Where do we want to end up? Because we weren't there. So where are we? Where do we want to go? Now, there's no time to get complacent because Eddie is immediately kidnapped by oh. the League. So quickly. I I lo- re- that was a fun noise. I really enjoyed your little... <laughs> uh, in the script, all it said was, Yelp from Eddie. Uh, but, but I think I did a few takes of that and yeah, there were a few different options. There's often like little noises you've got to make. Um, it it reminded me most of the noise I had to make for getting dragged into the house in the first episode. I'm not sure Pagianico's public liability insurance allows me to enter your residence or dwelling. But this was, yeah, it was fun because it's off in the distance. It's what gives the series sometimes a cartoonish quality. Like you can picture, you know, one of the Smurfs gets swept up by Gargamel or just a really (laughs) swift little event. Yeah, Eddie is a bit of a Smurf. (laughs) 
<laughs> but is he a brainy or is he a? I can't think of another annoying Smurf. He's brainy. Vanity. The worst one. Vanity. Yeah, he's not vanity. He's more like brainy. I think. Let's talk about this character of the scribe. Oh yes. What what a rich vocal performance we have. Oh, deliciously played by George Ivanov. They were clearly not of this land, strangers in both custom and dress. They had weird hair as well, but who am I to judge? Thank you, George. It was so much fun to have him on the show. It's medieval, it's camp, it's every narrator you loved as a kid. I think we just we just said to jo- I think we just said to him, look, just just go to town. Just this is the kind of character it is. Just go nuts and he just yeah, he really brought it. And it was just really lovely to get him in as a performer because I've known George for a long time. I knew him back when he was doing a lot more acting than he does now because now he's mostly known as a writer, as an author. Uh, he particularly is well known for a series of Choose Your Own Adventure style books called the You Choose series for for kids, which are great. Um, but, yeah, it was really nice to get him in as a performer. Um, and it's so, oh, every word. I loved it. I particularly enjoyed his delivery of murdering. No murdering for a start. Murdering is right out. Mm, yes yes and there's this moment where the scribe steps out of his role as narrator and then into the narrative and starts interacting with the characters he meets sue and anastasia and of course recognizes her voice as sounding like the queens Mm. and directs them to the hideout where the league is holding eddie on their way they then meet the local baroness oh yes amanda buckley's Evita, oh, Elvira, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> this, this role is such a gift for her. Yeah. Amanda just has, she, she, I think she just loves playing this kind of role. I've seen her improvise a lot. So she works as an improviser primarily and she's hilarious and she often plays these fantastic larger than life characters. I mean, she's got a lot of range. She can play a lot of things, as you know, if you've listened to Night Terrace because she plays lots of yeah. different characters. But anytime you give her something that's really over the top and exciting and a bit swashbuckly, oh man, like. And this this was her time to shine. All I need is a crossbow, my man Grenfell, and a sense of adventure. And I, madam, have all three. I really loved her in this episode. Including this excellent moment where she later sacrifices herself to protect the trio. Oh, yeah. Well, in Anastasia's honour, she's a little sweet on Anastasia. Yes. And, Who wouldn't be? Oh, it, just accurate representation of what... <laughs> how we would all be. Of course, we would sacrifice ourselves for Susan. (laughs) Mm. But then also has to play against her silent sidekick, Grenfell. Grenfell. Who's just sometimes shuffling noises in the grass. We we had a lot of fun with Grenfell because we jokingly kept saying that uh, Grenfell, played by David Lamb, (laughs) because Dave Lamb is our other company player, but he, this season more so than the previous one, he wasn't available for as many of the recording sessions and also... Amanda and Dave would read the parts for the actors who couldn't be at the studio session. So a lot of Dave's experience was that he was reading out parts that were then re-recorded by someone else. And we promised him that we would write at least one part that he would not be re-recorded for. And then we jokingly told him this was it. <laughs> so he is playing Grenfell. And he d- and look, from memory, I'm pretty sure he was there on the day and he did play Grenfell. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I am the Baroness Evita Elvira de Carlo Carlos VII, fourth daughter of the House of DeMarco and protector of the eternal flame of Aldelazara, and this is Grenfell. <laughs> yes, heed him well. Um, but it's just it's just a lot of good gags there. This episode is so silly, but it just has some of the most fun gags in the whole series, I think. I really love it. I did also enjoy Amanda's Miss Piggy-esque Hiya. Oh, yeah. She kicks down the door to let 
Sue and Anastasia are into the so, league. So good. Aye-ya! Perfection. So Eddie's been captured, but they're reluctant to let him go since he now knows of the plot of that they're going to overthrow the castle. Mm. However, the Baroness offers them her word to that they'll keep silent. And everyone's surprised that this <laughs> is good enough, but, you know, this place runs on weird fantasy logic. So, okay, sure, why not? Then we have the scene where the trio is attacked by the blind archers who uh, manage to hit a lot of their targets due to statistical probability. Yes. See, this is what I mean. It's so silly, but it's so fun. <laughs> Shout out as well to David Ashton's uh, soundscape here with the montage of arrow sounds. Oh. Like almost like they're coming from a Nerf gun, but... <laughs> oh, no, that's what arrows sound like. I mean, this is one thing. I'm sure Dave would tell you this, that... There are so many things that don't sound in real life the way we expect them to sound. And I think Arrows is one of them. Like, I've done a little bit of archery. I really I love it. <laughs> I haven't done it as much as I would like. But it, it doesn't make a lot of noise. Right. Like, it's one of the dangers of, of people with bows and arrows instead of guns is you don't know they're there. Um, but there is that, you know, there is a, you know, noise. And this is very much a cartoony yeah. uh, arrow sound. But it's oh, it was fun. I wish I, we didn't. Obviously, we weren't hearing it when we were in the studio. It was added in later, but but it was it, it sounded exactly on the show the way I thought it would sound in my mind. They take refuge with the scribe. Eddie wants to tell him that the castle is under threat, but he's already worked it out because since he records history as his job, he now understands the pattern of the political cycle and can predict when history is going to repeat itself. Yeah, yeah, he's seen it all before, and. It reminds me of how the Night Terrace writers have become the Nostradamus of <laughs> modern history because you seem to predict what's coming up in current affairs. Well, I mean, look, we're not writing in order to do that. <laughs> uh, I think we just got lucky. I mean, I think it's it's just depressing. Like we've said this a few times this season, but, you know, there are things that we wrote about that we did not expect to become more relevant in both seasons, actually. I mean, like, you know, we wrote an episode about people being disappointed that in the future, nobody's remembering what Hitler was really all about. And, of course, now we have plenty of people not really remembering what Hitler was all about. I'm, I'm being very careful about what I write for season three. I can tell you that much. Just write a bit of harmony. <laughs> yeah, I'll write a nice future where everything works out. So we have this scene where the guard is coming to take the queen to protect her from the siege. Our trio hides behind a tapestry and the scribe tells Anastasia to yell out orders. And Anastasia cottons on that she sounds like the queen, but the guard insists on taking her away. So she goes with the scribe and insists on taking the tapestry with her so she can be concealed. Yes. And then they're taken to the throne room where she meets her voice double. Good heavens. Indeed. It's like listening into a mirror. Such a good line. I think, you know what? I think that was largely the genesis. This This episode came from a few places. There was the desire to parody this kind of you know, inexorable, ongoing, epic fantasy that John hates so much. <laughs> People but, fighting over nothing. Exactly. But also there was this idea of, well, what if two people sound the same but they don't look the same? Yeah. And I think that joke was one of the first things that John thought of for the episode. I'm going to say it was John. It might have been Lee who thought up that joke, but I'm pretty sure it was John. You all move as one beast. Well, <laughs> No, it doesn't really work that way. But we do share jokes. Like if somebody yeah. has a great idea for a gag, they'll give it to somebody else. And that's mostly John writing jokes in for the rest of us. 
but every now and then, like when we collaborated on the live episode, we'll all contribute jokes to the same thing. So, yeah, but I think that was one of his. So Anastasia reveals to the Queen that she's under attack but also calls her out as a bully and the Queen tries to bristle and say, well, you know, I've got this beast here, like people should be afraid of me and then it all comes crumbling down because no one actually has anything to be afraid of No, and she has no power. I like that the end, you know, is where all these things come together because we've got, you know, the, the League of Defiance or the Guild of... Resist. I can't, there's so many. Like, I, it's become real life. I can't keep track of them all. The traitors. But, but you've got the traitors from outside trying to get in. And then, of course, you've got the Lord Keeper who's trying to take over from inside, which is also a brilliant. Like, he just gave so many people this, like, great melodramatic dialogue. And Mick Cahill is an actor that I've known for quite a while. I, I always wanted him to be in Night Terror somewhere because he's got such a brilliant voice. He does play the English gent in the first episode. And then he plays the Lord Keeper here and he just, oh, he pitches it perfectly as well. Although I think my favourite moment is when he has his little laugh to himself. (laughs) Oh, yeah, so good. So then the siege is happening. It's underway. There's a cacophony of siege sounds and the scribe is going to help our trio back to their house. But in the meantime, Eddie and Sue have taken a tour of the castle and they've found this treasure room and in that room is another night terrace. Yeah. House. Yeah, so weird. I kind of like that because there's that, there's that great line describing it as... It's like a drag queen exploded in a glitter factory or vice versa. I like, don't think about that too much, but it is very funny. It's great. It reminded me a bit of that... Um, in- English series I watched as a kid that was shown on the ABC. It was Teabag and the Rings of Olympus oh, yeah. and the Silver Numbers. I and love that show. Teabag series because you just were hanging for her to find the next object in mm. the next episode. And this is what this feels like every time you see, oh, there's the Night Terrace. It's, it's the special object. This is where we were going with this is like what is going to happen to Night Terrace. And it was nice to – we had a much clearer season-long arc for this ep- mm. this season. And, you know, this is this is where it begins. We keep finding Night Terrace and going, wait, is this the future of Night Terrace? Is this the future of Night Terrace? What is the future of Night Terrace? So the scribe leads the trio back to their house to go home. They ask, well, do, does he want to accompany them? But no, he's going to stay behind because essentially he's the one controlling the land mm. because he can see what's coming. Yeah. I like that we never really answer if he's truly a benign person or not. And it it just made me think of writers reminding us that they're very powerful because they're the ones recording history, um, looking introspectively and analysing it. Yes, people should be afraid. (laughs) Eddie leaves us on a poignant note. Firstly, he asks his, his housemates if they are doing damage by interfering wherever they go. And secondly, points out that both of the Night Terrace houses they've seen so far are devoid of them. There's, they are not in their own house. So what does that mean for their future? When we were planning this out, we knew that we wanted them to find the house in different places, in different circumstances, and thinking about how that would work and what influence that would have on the world around it was a, was a lot of fun. I mean, in mine, I was like, well, it's a steamship in space with weird stuff happening. <laughs> so it seemed fairly obvious. But I think in this one, it's nice because it's a bit more subtle and you don't expect it. Like you're not looking for this mystery. Mm. But when it pops up, it explains a few of the weird things that are going on in this world. I like that we don't fill in all the answers for this. 
in this episode. Like John left a few things quite vague because the whole point is that nobody can really follow what's going on. But at the same time, there's that intimation that this is like a future human colony on a world. This is not like the past somewhere because the farmers, when they leave, they go and colonize a moon. Like they've got a spaceship. They've got space technology. Uh, And this society has kind of decayed and devolved. It's been corrupted. I appreciated the streetcar named Desire reference in the Queen's declaration of, I've always relied on the terror of strangers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's actually, there's another one coming up in the next episode. Great. And the beast is just, I guess, the castle pet now. Like, (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's just, it's this weird thing. Again, you know, a thing that's, that's explained by the presence of the house. Whatever kind of creature it originally was, it's become this weird beast that is not really terrifying, but has, I like the idea that maybe once it was terrifying, but as it's just got older and it's just de- devolved into this weird, dumb-looking monstrosity that just wants to play. Like the one time I went horse riding and I was terrified, they gave me the oldest, most incompetent horse on the farm so I wouldn't be scared and he just trudged along and it'd be like, come on, Clive. And he's just like, it's too much trouble to throw people off. I'll, yeah. just, I'll just walk around. So that is a verb of nouns. Are there any other opportunities this series, can you tell me, where Jackie has to do an absolutely bonkers performance? Maybe. Like, like not, eating I, live hamsters. I don't want to give any spot. Oh, look, there's nothing quite on a okay. par with this episode, but she does get some other interesting stuff to do for sure. I wonder what that's like as an actor, just getting eat live hamsters in script. Sometimes you just do what it says in the script. I mean, it says crunch as she bites the hamster and a little squeal. Um and then with mouthful, mm, delicious. Like you, <laughs> when you see that in the script, I think you get a little bit. I certainly do as an actor. I'm, I get a bit excited. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I've never done that before. I get to do a thing I've never done. I'm gonna pretend to eat a live hamster. Uh, you don't get that, that served up at Harold's Cafe. No, and I don't. I don't think you know. I'll get any stuff like that as Eddie either. <laughs> um, yes. So should we recommend something for people to enjoy as they await episode four? Absolutely. Uh, Look, if you do enjoy epic fantasy, I would like to recommend the new prequel to The Dark Crystal, the series The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, which has dropped on Netflix recently. Um, I'm an old school Dark Crystal fan, as are many people my age. And I, I really loved it. I thought they did such a great job. And it's got that epic fantasy. There's lots of things that have weird fantasy names and there's like seven clans of Gelflings. And so it's got a sort of similar feel to this episode, except it does all kind of make sense. Well, this is good to hear because my partner is a huge Henson buff. Oh, yeah. Jim Henson fan. So we, for his birthday, as his present, we're watching the entire series. Oh, wow. So oh, it's good. Great. You'll have a good time. And it also, you know, it's got that thing where there's a thing in the middle of the kingdom that is corrupting things because it's gone wrong. And that's kind of like the house in this episode. So I think it's thematically it's on par, but it's not as genre self-aware. It plays it pretty straight, but it is also, you know, I think it's got a bit of political awareness okay. um, in a way that we didn't necessarily set out to do <laughs> with Night Terrace all the time. But the themes in it are very relevant to our lives today. My recommendation is podcast-based. I had two. I was initially thinking of – I've only just started dipping into this. It was a friend who put me onto it. It's a podcast called Rex Factor where they review the kings and queens of England and Scotland. Wow. That sounds amazing. I've only just started, but I think it'll fill in some of my historical gaps quite nicely. And they've, they've finished all the kings and queens and now they've moved on to the consorts, I think. Oh, wow. So there's a lot in there. But if you, that's more for the historical bent. But if while we were talking, I was thinking about one of my favorite podcasters, April Richardson, 
one of her podcasts is called Sorted Details and the second episode she has a friend try to explain Game of Thrones to her or just sci-fi and fantasy in general and how it all works and it's she's got no clue she's like is it just Ren Fair like Renaissance Fair with dragons like she doesn't get it and hearing her friend talk her through how it all works is precious that's so, amazing Sorted Details well we need to rally some troops Ben we do. I mean, we're we're coming back. We are going to make a third season. Um, I can't tell you where season two ends. I don't want to spoil it for you if you're not up to it yet. But we are going to make a third season. And as this comes out, that's going to be crowdfunded through Kickstarter. That'll be, well, it'll happen somewhere in around about a month. It'll be before we finish this series. But, you know, if you're, if you're keen on the show, if you want to help us make some more, please watch out for that. Um, it will help us. We, it's the only way we made the first two seasons was people like you listening and, and supporting us. So night terrorists like me need to make it happen again. Yes. Please. Yes, please. We would love that. And, and you know, you, it's not like you don't get anything for it. We, we've got lots of lovely rewards that you can get for yourself, including things like signed scripts and get yourself a name in the episode. And in fact, this episode, when we were making season two, we got a lot more people who wanted to get their name in an episode. And this episode where we needed a lot of names was a godsend for that. I think about 90% of the backers' names that get mentioned this season are in this particular episode. James Gitchum is one. Sev Dallas, the Beast of Sev Dallas, that's the, somebody's oh. name from a Kickstarter. Right, I was um, wondering about that. But it's, they just sounded right, you yeah. know. There's so many of them. Um, Eddie mentions a couple of people in a story at the start of the episode and that's another couple of backers' names. Like we just dropped so many of them in this episode but it just worked you oh, that know it's a good deal i like it yeah so that could be you yeah uh, keep an eye out keep an eye out for night terrace season three on kickstarter and more info on this podcast and on night terrace is on nightterrace.com the next episode airs on bbc radio 4 extra so keep an eye out and on bbc.co.uk or the iplayer app or bbc sounds you can tweet your opinions at Night Terrace. Ben loves to hear them and continue the chats. I do. And, and do watch the Twitter too because uh, other members of the cast and crew who can't make it to the podcast recordings do like to give a few snippets of knowledge. So Petra's been live tweeting a couple of the episodes. David Ashton's been tipping stuff in there and telling us secrets. So, yeah, keep an eye on the hashtag Night Terrace as well and, and our Twitter handle, which is Night Terrace. And I have another podcast all about neighbours. It's called Neighbours. All our info is at neighbourspod.com. And Ben and I will check in next episode for another cup of tea on the terrace. Bye. You have been listening to On the Terrace, a Splendor Chaps production. Find more entertainment for your ears at splendorchaps.com.